Introducing the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast with New York Times bestselling author Christine Carlson. With 25 million copies in print, learn how the Don't Sweat wisdom can help you achieve greater mental health and better communication with your family, friends, and coworkers from a beloved teacher. Rediscover your passion, joy, and self-compassion to awaken your most vibrant life. Listen in now for the Practicing Happiness series featuring Christine's interviews with experts in the art and science of happiness and discover how you can master life in a way that will help you fulfill your human potential. Hi, and welcome back to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast. This is Christine Carlson, and I am so happy you're here. But before we begin, let's go ahead and take our golden paws. So wherever you are, just sit comfortably. Sit with your legs uncrossed. If you're sitting in a chair, your palms open on your lap and your shoulders back and your heart open. And if you're sitting on the floor, just sit Indian style, leaning back against something. Same posture, shoulders back. Close your eyes, unless you're driving. Don't close your eyes. (laughs) Just pay attention to the road and use this as a breathing exercise. But let's just close our eyes if we're seated. And begin to breathe with me. Breathe in through your nose. And as you do so, allow your chest and your belly to expand, taking in the fullness of your breath, feeling the fullness of that breath. And then exhale and just let a sigh out. Ah, let go. This is your time. Go ahead and breathe in, breathing in sunlight to every cell of your being, to the top of your head, to the tips of your fingers and toes, all through your body, pure golden sunlight. And as you exhale, let yourself go. Let yourself relax. And this time as you breathe in, breathe in love. Fill your heart with love. Fill your chest, your core, Fill your whole body with pure love. And as you exhale, let go of fear. Relax and let go. This time as you breathe in, place your hand on your heart, activating your heart, opening your heart. Just spend a moment in gratitude. Thinking of something to be grateful for, it could be something as simple as being here right now in this breath, in this moment. And just spend a moment feeling that yummy gratitude, filling your heart and your whole soul with gratitude, breathing in gratitude. And this time as you breathe in, breathing in that golden sunlight and exhaling, go ahead and open your eyes. Well, we have a very special guest um, as part of our Practicing Happiness series. I've invited a very dear friend, a woman that I consider very much a mentor on many levels in my entrepreneurial business things and just somebody that I met in a very special story that I'll share with you after I let you know who she is. Fawn is 
a USA Today and New York Times bestselling author. Her blog, Spontaneously Launched, while she was simultaneously working as a hotel general manager, that's so fun, <laughs> has generated international media recognition and has been featured on media outlets such as the Los Angeles Times, New York Daily News, ABC, NBC, BBC, Fox News, Self Magazine, Huffington Post, Brides Magazine, Essence Magazine, Success, Success Magazine, and Pop Sugar, to name a few. She's been hosted on more than 35 television and radio programs in Australia, New Zealand, Spain, Canada, the UK, Poland, and Ireland. Her blog, happywivesclub.com, has attracted more than 10 million visitors. Oh my gosh, 10 million visitors. Is followed by more than 1 million people on social media and was twice named the best marriage site by the readers of about.com. Oh my gosh, Fawn is a multi-talented, multi-faceted, brain whiz entrepreneur. I can't say enough about her on that level because, again, I said earlier, she is definitely one of my mentors. So, Fawn Weaver, welcome. Welcome, welcome to this podcast. I'm so excited to talk with you and share you with our listeners today. Thank you, Chris. I'm so excited to be here. And that is the absolute best beginning of a program I've ever had because I'm sitting here in my big chair that I normally meditate in. Nice. And I hadn't had a chance to meditate this morning. So right when you began talking, I said, well, I'll just meditate while she's talking. And then you did this meditation. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's, that's perfect. Perfect. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I know I like to do that golden pause because it really teaches people that they can do that anytime throughout the day. And it's so quick. And, you know, as soon as they've done it, like, you know, 20 times, they you, you figure totally out how to do it yourself. You don't need anybody narrating. It's just about breathing, right? Absolutely. And for me, I actually have a mantra that I repeat over and over, and it's one of gratitude. Nice. And so it was just perfect. Oh, yay. That's great. All right. So I just, I want to begin by you sharing the story about how you and I met, because it is such a powerful story and one that's so, oh my gosh, so dear to my heart too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had just traveled around the world and I went to 12 countries and, and on six continents and I interviewed couples happily married 25 years or more. And I was looking to find the common denominator, no matter race, religion, your background, where you were born, how you were raised, what were those consistencies around the world that couples did? And, and I chose the, the number 25 because really, and, and Mark Twain said this about marriage, is when you have lived together, when you have been married for 25 years, at that point, you've gone through most of the highs and lows of life that you're going to experience. So having and raising kids together, going through financial challenges, everything that a couple does, especially when they're younger, middle years, by the time you get to 25, even if you're not doing it right, you know how to do it right. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> so I, I traveled the world and interviewed people that, people that I respected said, if I could mirror any couple, and I know they're the real deal, and they have been for 20 plus years, can you, I said, point me to those people. And then I got on a plane and I went and flew and I interviewed them. And so I did this around the world. I came back and I wrote the book as I was traveling. And from chapter to chapter, I wrote it. And once I finished my final interviews in Australia, I was headed back to, to Los Angeles. And I had 
submitted everything to my editor at the publishing house and we thought we had a great book but I really thought that there was a story that was missing and I couldn't really pinpoint why I thought that because it was really a strong book at that point but I told my editor Brian I said Brian, I am missing an interview. I don't know who it is. I don't know where they are, but I'm missing an interview. I have to figure this out. And so I, as I was driving, and you know this story, as I was driving from Los Angeles into where we live, which is Agora Hills, you have to go through Malibu. So I'm driving through Malibu <laughs> and I get right about to Pepperdine, where, of course, <laughs> you and Richard met, which I didn't know that at the time. I get right about to Pepperdine, and this book comes to mind that I had read years before and absolutely loved it. It is your book in An Hour to Love, An Hour to Give. Did I put that an, in the right an order? An Hour to Live, An Hour to Love. I always switch those up, but An Hour to Live, An Hour to Love. And when I read that book, I just so fell in love with the love that you and Richard had. And so I'm driving and it pops into my head that you're my last interview. I have to find this author who wrote this book. And so I start calling my girlfriend who knows everyone. I said, Shalene, have you ever heard of this author? Her name is, and I just went through the whole thing. And, and she's like, no, I said, do you know her? And she says, I don't know her, but you know me. I'm one degree of separation from everyone. So I said, okay, on it. And so then I called, <laughs> I called my agent and said, listen, can you figure out how to get to, to uh, Chris's agent? And then I called my editor and said, I know who the final interview is. I have no idea how I'm going to get to her, but I'm going to get to her. <laughs> and and uh, so everyone was like sending out emails to people they knew to figure out how do you get to Christine Carlson? And then I came back home, I got on my computer, I went to your Facebook page, <laughs> and I sent you a message. How crazy is that? I sent you a message and told you this is my project. And usually when you send a Facebook message, you have some person who's monitoring it, has not the author themselves. And, and so I put a note there and I said, this is what I'm doing. Can you forward this to, to Christine and, and ask her if she's interested, will she please email me? And within an hour, I got an email from you. And I'll never forget literally jumping out of my skin with complete excitement. And then I sent a text to everyone saying, never mind, I got her. <laughs> <laughs> and, was, and the funny thing is, is I, I said, well, let's talk. And I gave you my number. And the next morning I get this phone call and I'm running out of the door. So I'm getting dressed. I'm getting dressed. And I literally am am putting on I, I want to say I was like putting on one pant leg and <laughs> and my and my phone rings and I pick it up and Keith my husband is is sitting there looking at me and it's you and he said and so I'm pointing at you said this is Christine Carlson or I think you said Chris Carlson is how you introduced yourself so this is Chris Carlson and I point at the phone and I look at Keith and I say it's her it's her <laughs> and then so I've got one pant leg going. I've got one shoe going. I'm trying to get dressed to get out of the door. And I mean, it was a complete circus, but it was the happiest circus moment for me ever. <laughs> that, <laughs> and the rest is history. That is such, <laughs> that is such an amazing story. You know, what always blows me away about that story is, is that it has just such the mark of divine intervention with you coming over the hill with the Pepperdine cross looming over you. And then there's the, there's the awareness that I'm your last interview. And 
I just think that is a miracle. Like it really is. And it certainly felt like a miracle, you know, when I met you and it was just such a lovely day when we did that interview too. I mean, remember it was like this, it was kind of like this almost candlelight with the fire and we were sitting right where Richard and I always sat in our early morning conversations and Keith was with you and we just had such an amazing, lovely connection right from the start. Right from the start. And I knew just before I met you, I met your cat. <laughs> yeah, Mo is quite the thing, quite the thing, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, Mo comes walking right. I mean, we're getting out of the out of the out of the car, stepping one foot out, and here comes this big white cat with, I mean, just as puffy as he wanted to be, with all this hair, and comes up and begins rubbing against my leg and purring. <laughs> and I've never seen that happen outdoors. <laughs> yeah, he's like a dog. He's definitely a ragdoll. Is like a dog cat. <laughs> oh, and I mean, I looked, I looked at this cat, and and once I finally figured out it was actually yours. It's almost like I instantly knew your personality and Richard's personality and that openness because they always say that pets take on the personality of their owners. And so I felt like I knew you before I ever walked through the door just because of the way that Mo welcomed us with, I mean, purring. (laughs) That is so cute. That is so cute. Well, you know, I, I wanted to have you on this series for several reasons. Um, one being that, you know, just like I said yes to that interview with you, and it was such an honor, and I want to thank you again for including me in that book. I mean, what a beautiful book that you wrote, and what a beautiful testament to marriage. And I, it was just such an incredible honor for me to be included in those stories. I mean, I can't even tell you. And of course, I look for every opportunity to talk about the amazing marriage I had with Richard. And I always, I still talk about it. And I, I hold it so close and so dear to my heart. So I just want to thank you for that again. I mean, really thank an incredible you. honor. Thank you. It is, it was absolutely one of the, the greatest highlights, not just of my book, but of my life. There's so much that I gathered in that interview that I carry with me every single day of my life. Well, you know that I did a TED talk on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That Yes. And I was again, honored again by being present in, you know, in that capacity in your TED talk. And, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's a wonderful thing, you know, when people come together, you know, we're like in a way, like we all are teachers and we're all students at the same time of each other, you know, and in our field, I mean, when you meet people that are really like coming from their hearts and they're authentic and they're really, you know, they're, they're really doing their life's work, you can truly feel that. And I definitely feel that about you and I feel that about your marriage, you know, and it was, it was obvious that you and Keith live a happy marriage and are happy with each other. And that's why I wanted to bring you on this series because I, I think that the series has been so much about how to practice happiness on an individual level, but it's also as a married partnership or a partnership in any committed relationship, you know, whether it be, you know, your committed friends or your committed lovers committed in marriage, it is also about practicing happiness. Would you not agree, Fran? I absolutely agree about practicing it in in every aspect of your life, not just kind of keeping it in one aspect. And I think a lot of people live with split lives. Yeah. And no, I absolutely agree. So 
what let's first go back to the book that you that you wrote and on that amazing you know pioneer spirit that took you all around the world to these marriages you know what were the uncoverings that you found like what was revealed from those interviews that were the common denominators of of the things that made those successful marriages well there were 12 and and i was really surprised by that really surprised i thought i would find maybe one common denominator given the differences in backgrounds and 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 upbringings and all the rest of that but there were actually 12 things that they all did and the main one across the board it was almost always the first answer that was when i said if there's just that one thing that you could tell a couple this is what you have to do if you want to have a successful marriage I could almost clock their answer before before they ever said it. And a lot of times they would answer the question before I even got the full question out. And it was mutual respect. Mm-hmm. And we hear a lot about women need love, men need respect. Really, women need love and respect, and so do men. And so there was this mutual admiration and respect for one another with everyone that I sat down with. And it was the thing that was a lot of fun is almost every woman that I sat down with that was genuinely happily married was a very strong woman. Mm. She knew who she was. She was independent. She was confident. And there was this admiration of her husband toward her. Mm. And it was, it was a powerful thing for me to watch and for me to witness because I myself am a very strong personality and a lot of times you are led to believe that in order to work in a marriage, in order for a marriage to really be great, someone has to be deferential, right? Right. Someone has to be the one that pulls back. And what I discovered with all of these couples is not only was there mutual respect, there was mutual submission. No mm. one was insisting on being right all the time. That's so powerful. I mean, mutual submission and and doesn't that's even more powerful than what we you know what we call compromise it's more like you're actually like you become equal in in the decision to move forward in the conflict that you have you know like there's this way in which you you bring all of yourself to it but in a loving heart space right that absolutely and and you work together as a team to if there is conflict what you're trying to do is, is allow the conflict to remain an external situation, mm-hmm. not, not allowing it to actually come into your heart, into your relationship, but allowing it to be external and teaming up together, right? To, to, really, to, to really fight against any conflict that may come against you personally, you in a relationship. And it is that mutual submission. Keith and I were in a meeting recently uh, for a, a business venture that we have, and, and we have quite a few together. I don't actually do any business deals without him and vice versa, Mm. whether or not he's taking lead or I'm taking lead. We always cover each other in that. And we were in a, in a meeting and the, pardon me, the branding company was sitting across from us and, and we were, they were sharing different ideas and things like that. And, and uh, he said something about an opinion that he liked. And I said something with regard to what my opinion was. And he said, how strongly do you feel about that? I said, I don't really feel strongly about that at all. And he said, great, this is what we're going to do. And the person across from us, one of them, 
she says, so is this how it works in the Weaver household? (laughs) (laughs) Is this what is normal? And Keith says, absolutely. I mean, if one of us feels strongly about something and then the other person, they don't lose anything by going with the one who really feels strongly about it. And it it really is just kind of the, the ebb and flow of our life. And it just feels so good. Well, and what I hear in that and what I love about that is, is the same thing that I had in my marriage with Richard too, is like practicing happiness in a marriage is being a team. It really is. It's, it's putting the team first, actually, before putting the team goals and the team understanding about what is your mission statement in your marriage, really, and putting that at the forefront. And then that's how you keep your conflicts external because you keep that as always in the forefront of everything you decide together and you're deciding as a team and you're working through like i love that that he asked you how important is that to you you know and and you told him it's not that important but had you said it was really important what would have happened then then we would have gone with mine which right. which by the way happens later in the in the same meeting and so it was fun because the person who who had asked, is this how this normally goes in the Weaver household? It was great because she's still looking and sorting through relationships and, and what they're going to look like in her life. And so she later told me that watching that exchange was so helpful because Keith and I are a team in every aspect of our lives. And for a lot of people, what happens is, is when there's conflict, when there's challenges, rather than teaming up and making the challenge the foe, they make themselves the foe. That's really where arguments come from and this this stress and strain within a relationship. So financial challenges, it is not to say that through Keith and I, we've been married for 13 years, we weathered 2008 together, we've lost a lot together, we've gained a lot together, but through it all, anytime we're having challenges, we don't allow the challenges to define our marriage or a relationship we team up together to fight against the challenges that's beautiful now what were the practices that led you to this ultimate practice that you know it's funny it was just little things that we did not realize that we were doing but i believe that they started off with the fact that we so greatly respect and admire one another as people as business people as as friends, as children, as as just in our lives, in every aspect of our lives, there's not one person in this world that I respect and admire more than my husband. And I can guarantee you, if you ask Keith, who is the person who he admires and respects most in this life? And he will tell you without question, it's me. And when that is where your you begin, right? That's your North Star. Then everything under that the trickle down effect <laughs> yeah that's so right <laughs> the trickle down effect of you having your spouse as the person who you look up to most and who you respect the most is that there is a level of love that that permeates in every conversation and everything that you do does that mean you're perfect absolutely not does that mean that your relationship your marriage is perfect absolutely not but what it does mean is you are every day working for the perfection of our union. It's just a little bit of, of that. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like Abe Lincoln a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So tell me about your latest book and, and how Practicing Happiness works into your latest book as well. 
Well, it's interesting because my latest book is one that most people would would never believe exists or can exist, which is why I did a TED Talk on it called The Argument-Free Marriage. And immediately when people hear that, the first thing they think of is they're sweeping things under the rug or someone's not really saying what they mean. And the funny thing about our relationship is out of all of the relationships we know, all of the marriages, and believe you me, we know so many we have the relationship where nothing is swept under the rug and we don't know anyone else like that. And that really truly says exactly what's on our mind. And again, I don't know many couples that do that, but again, it's in respect. It's with admiration. It's with love. If Keith doesn't do something, does something that I don't like, I let him know. And if he says something that bothers me, I let him know, but here's the key. And it's the crux of the, the book that came out about a year or so ago, The Argument Free Marriage, is when you have a conversation, you have to remain in a place of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So when Keith does something that would cause anger to rise in me, before I allow it to rise to anger, I pause and ask myself, what is the original emotion? And if you think about that in every argument you've ever been in and every frustrating moment you've ever had, if you actually take a step back and say, what is the original emotion? It is never, ever a negative emotion. It is always one that comes from a place of vulnerability. But what we do is we take this aggressive emotion, so anger, and we cover up the vulnerable emotion, which may be fear. Mm-hmm or disappointment or hurt. And the difficulty for spouses to tell one another, what you just said hurt me. It is, it is something that is very real in most relationships. But when you can pull that back and rather than getting upset and screaming and yelling or slamming a door or even walking around in silence because anger takes many faces, if you can rather than do all of that, just say, you know what? What you just said hurt me or what you did disappointed me. You're starting the conversation from a place of vulnerability instead of from an aggressive response. Yeah. And I love that because it's a heart feeling. It's, it's nobody, if you've ever noticed that if you, if you stick with how you're feeling, people don't argue with your feelings. I mean, it's intuitive for us not to argue somebody out of their feelings and to acknowledge that somebody could feel differently than we feel. It's, it really is. I, I've noticed that in my own communications over the years. And certainly, I want to tell you, you know, that Richard and I had three arguments, three what I called fights in our entire 25-year relationship. And they were all due to my PMS. <laughs> Never anything he did or anything. It was all because I was crazy in a few moments where I just completely lost perspective and I hadn't gone to him, you know, during that few days of just, you know, disparaging PMS, which I used to have some pretty bad PMS. Oh and, boy. And, um, but, but, I felt very much the same way that, that you did, like, as far as like, we talked about everything and our, and we would never like, I wouldn't have even called it conflict. I would, I would have called it like, sometimes we would agree to disagree or 
Yes. Or, or we would have a conversation about something that we felt or that was uncomfortable. Or, you know, I honestly, I mean, people sometimes think I memorialized Richard a certain way because he couldn't have been this good, but he really was this good. Like he, he didn't have, yeah. he didn't well, have yeah. a mean bone in his body. Like he was so mindful of, of his, you know, of his love and, and how he would, he was so mindful of other people really. And, and he would never, but, but me, he would, every once in a while he'd say, Chris, you can be really mean. <laughs> Wow. Well, you know, what's funny is one of the things that I think has kept our relationship so peaceful is, and, and I had Keith included in this most recent book because I said, honey, people are want, going to want to hear from at least the, the other person in this relationship. So they know I'm not actually crazy. Yeah, true. <laughs> and, and, and I said, just share with everyone what it is that you do or what it, how, how do you believe that you've been able to respond to me so well? Because I am not foolish enough to think that I am such a great and ar articulate person that I always say everything right. And I always no, do everything right. No, it's not all just right. you. It's definitely 50% no. you and 50% him. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and what he said in, what he said in the book and what he has said to me about this, I think is probably one of the strongest points that was in the book, although he has by far the shortest chapter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he said, presume innocence. Mm. So he said, when you say something or when you do something that bothers me or that hurts me or that disappoints me, what I do is I presume innocence first. And I respond from a place of believing that you love me with every bone in your body and you do not want to hurt me. So what you just did or said that hurt me was not intentional. And he starts from that place mm. and he has taught me how to do that. And mm. so if he does something that hurts me or says something that does, does something that disappoints me or says some, says something that hurts me, the first thing I do is I presume innocence. And I have a conversation from that place. And I've got to tell you, I know that people don't believe it's possible to live your entire life and have a relationship that's peaceful. And granted, we're thir only 13 years into this, but we're 13 years into this. <laughs> yeah, no, you do. You will. And it, and it is possible. And I did. And and it, it, could, it is completely, completely possible and doable. But you're right. I mean, you have to begin with you know, complete, almost, almost even more than respect or reverence for each other. I mean, really, there yes. has to be such a deep, you know, we always used to say my first chapter in Don't Sweat the Small Stuff in Love is mostly be pals. Because we mm -hmm. always said that if you treat your spouse, your partner, like your best friend, you would never be disrespectful in your friendship to your very best friend, the way you would say something, the way you would ask for something. But then, you know, oftentimes what happens in marriages is we lose that deep level of, of understanding that it is, it's more about friendship and than anything else. That, yes. That, and, and that deep level of respect comes from remembering that you're friends first. And yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that is really how to keep and to keep a, um, the foundation of a great marriage connected for a lifetime is to keep that high level of um, friendship. And I just love the way you've talked about, you know, how to respect each other and that at the very basis of a happy marriage and practicing a happy life is 
not only self-respect, but respect for the people in your lives, respect for even your children, you know, to think of your children, not as apprentice people in your relationships, but have a mutual respect for them as well, you know, and I mean, we mirror each other, don't we? It, I mean, that's what I find so fascinating about relationships of all kinds is that we really are mirrors for each other. We absolutely are mirrors of each other. And, and you know, hopefully we're like that really cool, thin mirror. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to kind of lean it up against the wall a little bit sometimes. <laughs> than you really actually do at the moment. <laughs> that mirror with a filter. That's what, that's what you really want your spouse to be is your mirror with a filter. Yeah, with and, a really nice <laughs> a nice filter on it. Like nice soft pink yummy filter on it. Exactly. <laughs> but I do, you know, two things you said that that make me that really jumped out of me. One, that 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 self-respect. Here's the thing. If you do not absolutely respect yourself. I don't care who you are, who your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. If you do not respect yourself, ultimately they will not respect you either. So, so it true. comes from a place without question of self-respect and knowing who you are, knowing your worth. Mm -hmm. That is so important before you ever decide to settle down with someone. So sort of pivoting a little bit to those who are single is, and, and, and just that thought process is, is if you do not know exactly who you are when you are getting married and you're finding yourself in your marriage, you might find someone who you don't really like. <laughs> That's a really good point. Right? And so finding yourself, I can honestly say that I found myself before marriage. I did a lot of hard work on who I was and, and falling in love with the person that God shaped and made me before I ever met my husband. That was really important. The other thing is, is that that friendship, we became best friends before we ever said I do. And that is a part of what has kept our relationship so vibrant, so much fun. I can tell you, and Keith and I joke about this all the time, that we're actually, if we, if it was our own world and, and we could just do exactly what we wanted to do, we probably would never see people. And I know that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible to say. But he and I are both naturally, we're, they call us gregarious introverts, which basically means that when we're out and about in public, we, we come across as extroverts because we really do love people. But in our heart of hearts and how we're renewed is we have to be by ourselves. So we're introverts, truly. Mm. And so in that, he and I could literally close off the world and just hang out with each other for the rest of our lives and we'd actually be <laughs> Gosh, you know, that's how Richard and I were too. I, I can totally understand that. I wonder if we are gregarious in, in, introverts as well. Mm -hmm. Yep, <laughs> it, it is. People mistake us for extroverts all the time. And, and Keith teases me that when he's out of town, he says, honey, leave the house at least once. <laughs> I work from home. I write from home. I do everything from home. And, and so it is true. He is my best friend. I am his best friend. And that has carried us through any challenges that we might have. And you know this, and I'm very open about this, us trying to have children for so long and not being able to. And that process tears apart so many couples. And for us, again, we looked at that as that's our foe, if you will, or that mm -hmm. is our challenge. And together, 
as a team, we're going to support each other. We're going to lift each other up. We're going to build each other so that we still have a great life in the midst of not being able to have something that I myself have longed for since I was 11, believe it or not, is to be a mom. I'm now 40, right? So 29 years, I've really wanted to be a mom. And Keith is an only child. He's always wanted children. And so we're 13 years in a marriage and I can't tell you how many IVFs and IUIs and rigamo this and that. And, and, but I can tell you without question that it has never, ever impacted, adversely impacted our relationship. If anything, it's made us stronger, brought us closer together. And every time we, I do all those shots <laughs> and and he'll come right beside me and we'll sit there and we'll joke about it while I'm doing this hormone shot and that hormone shot and, and injecting needles and all the rest of that stuff. And, and it just is such a blessing. It's the only word I can really use for it. Mm. Such a blessing that I have this person to walk through life with that supports me, that loves me, that honors me. And there is no way in the world I am going to take that for granted. Well, that's a beautiful segue into our ending. And I just, that's such a raw and vulnerable share on your part. And, you know, I know that the beauty of that is that the gift that you give people is to know that, you know, you guys have something that you both really, really deeply desire. But what you have first is the deep desire to have a wonderful, happy marriage and to have that great relationship. And that that's at the very basis of who you are as a couple. And I think that's just so beautiful. I mean, talk about how to practice a happy life in your marriage that that is at the foundation almost makes me feel like crying. (laughs) It really does. Because I think about, I honestly think about, you know, um, that when you when you're a couple and you and you can easily have children is something that you can really take for granted, you know, and and it, and I think about what it would be like to not have given birth to our two daughters, you know, and it's just, I can't imagine, you know, I can't imagine, but I'm so like, I'm so thrilled for you and Keith that you've been able to overcome that challenge and that obstacle and that you do so with such love and such a united love. It's such an amazing example for all people because there are so many obstacles that we face in life. And, and the truth is, and I can tell you first and foremost that I've had to, I've had many obstacles that I faced with Richard and I've had to face them without him in his physical form. And it's far, it was far easier to do life with him. So <laughs> yes, I have no doubt about it. No doubt about it. it far is, easier. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Fawn, we could go on and on and on. Um, and I just want to say thank you so much with my whole heart for sharing, you know, your books and, Let's just repeat your website again. So where can people find you and, and um, find out more about you and read your blog? Absolutely. It's www.happywivesclub.com. Fawn, thank you so much. I just adore and love you. And, and I just, I will have to have another interview on again, because this was just so powerful. Thank you. Let's do it. And thank you, Chris. You have been such a light in our lives, in our marriage, and what you and Richard represent, I believe, is what every couple should aspire to have, should aspire to be. And your brief eternity together here on earth is is something that should be a reminder to all of us to don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah, no doubt. 
Thanks for listening to the Practicing Happiness series on the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast with Christine Carlson. Chris has a free gift to offer you. Do you need a daily reminder to practice happiness? You can download a beautiful free print and lock screen for your phone and computer featuring a quote from Dr. Richard Carlson. The reminder you need will be at your fingertips daily. This free gift can be found at christinecarlson.com forward slash happy. Download it now.